Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Bike James podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about grip training and specifically the forgotten element, the missing ingredient, if you will, for uh, most riders' grip training uh, strategies, if, if you will. So we're going to talk about what that is and then some things that you can do to, uh, to improve that. So first off, grip strength. You know, what is it important for? Uh, why, why do we care about our grip strength? I think on the trail, it is uh, pretty obvious why grip strength is important. I mean, for one, we are hanging on to our handlebars. And if our handlebars get ripped out of our hands for some reason, then we lose control and we crash. So just on like a real fundamental basic safety level, uh, just being able to hang on to your handlebars effectively is a really important thing for mountain bikers. You know, like grip strength is probably more important for us than it is for, say, a, uh, a marathon runner or, you know, any type of runner, right? So it's one of those things that uh, it's it, grip strength is important off the bike as well, right? Like it is an indicator of functional core strength. Um, there's some, uh, you know, uh, longevity projections that you can make uh, based on your grip strength. And so it has been shown to be an important factor in just overall health and, and like I said, kind of being predictive of your, your strength and ability to age well. Uh, so it is important off the bike as well. But on the bike, uh, like I said, for us as mountain bikers, it does have a specific importance that we need to make sure that we're addressing. Like while other athletes and sports that don't have as high of a grip strength demand can get away without uh, making sure that they are addressing all aspects of their grip training, even though they probably should. As mountain bikers, we really can't. We're, we're going to be penalized if we have a hole in our grip strength. And so, uh, like I said, though, but unfortunately, a lot of us do. So um, just, you know, real quick, though, besides just the, the, the basic safety aspect of being able to hang on your handlebars, not have them ripped out of your hands, your grip strength is going to play a big role in your overall performance on the bike because your hands are one of the major ways that you interact with your bike. It's one of the major ways that you control the bike, that you uh, input pressure and, and things like that in order to steer the bike and maneuver the bike. And so they're super important contact points. And you're only as strong as your weak link. And so if your grip is weak, then you're going to struggle to be able to, to use your movement and your technical skills effectively on the bike. And so, uh, you know, you may be fine. You know, there's definitely a difference between like just grip strength and grip strength endurance. And so we'll touch on that as we get into this more, um, which, you know, both of them are important for us uh, as uh, as mountain bikers. But I just wanted to point that out, too, that there are several things that grip strength does. But if your ability to execute skills and and uh, and move well on your bike is one of your goals, then your grip strength is super important because that's going to play a major role in how effectively you're able to do that. And so, uh, again, overall, it's got a, a, a you know really high importance in mountain biking. In fact, one of the, the, the few studies that actually exist on uh, downhill racing, looking at what are the contributing factors towards success in downhill racing, um, I wrote an article on this. It's been several years now. It's called uh, The Science of Going Downhill Faster. If you go to my, my website at bikejames.com and, and search for that, you'll find that. But uh, in this study, they found that grip strength and specifically grip strength endurance 
was the number one most predictive factor uh, in, uh, you know, predictive uh, data point that they collected in predicting how well someone was going to perform. So things like their VO2 max and, and some other things that you would think like, would would have a strong correlation they actually found had little to no correlation again we're talking about downhill uh here which anytime that you're you know even if you're a trail rider uh you know anytime your bike is pointed downhill then the science behind this starts to you know uh, be more of a factor so you don't want to just completely ignore this um because it, it was uh you know, focused on uh, downhill racers. But so again, I'm just saying that because you may find that VO2 max is a more predictive uh, thing in something like cross country or, or marathon type bike racing. But for downhill racing, they found that your ability to go downhill faster, your VO2 max was not predictive of how well you were going to do while your grip strength endurance was. And so the science backs this up that, that grip strength and your grip strength endurance are extremely important factors in your ability to perform on the bike, uh, especially, like I said, when you are are trying to execute your technical skills um, and your you know the bike's pointed downhill. So again, you know enduro racers, you guys get basically timed on uh, what is a, you know mostly a downhill style run, and so uh, again, this is important for for uh, enduro racers as well. But again, even just regular trail riders, like I mentioned earlier, anytime the trail is pointed down, then the science, like the, then this is going to be a factor, right? It's not your VO2 max at that point that is going to be the, the, the determining factor of how well you're able to ride uh, that downhill section. It's going to be your grip strength endurance is going to be, you know, a more important factor. So are you doing things to address that? So I would say that a lot of riders are aware that grip strength is important. Like I said it's kind of an obvious thing uh, for us. And so there's definitely attempts uh, by people to address their grip strength through their training programs. And so, you know, I've definitely helped contribute to that with some of my articles and posts and, and videos and stuff over the years and, you know, specifically addressing grip strength for mountain biking. But I found a few years ago, I guess it's been more than a few years, I guess it's, it's probably been like five or six years now that I, I discovered some training tools that really exposed a hole in my own grip strength. And it, it, it and I know that it also uh, is something that a lot of other riders struggle with because these training tools aren't very effective and what they do for us isn't as well understood as it probably should be. Now, before we get into that, like what is what is grip strength? Like just kind of define what grip strength is. And, and I think that uh, the way that most people define what grip strength is revolves around the ability to close the fingers and uh, either against resistance. So something like a, you know, a, a grip trainer where you're, you're squeezing something together, you know, like captains of crush uh, make a, a pretty popular grip uh, strength trainer, but you're basically moving, right? You're, you're, you are trying to uh, close your fingers and your thumb together and, and crush something together. You also have your ability to resist uh, movement, right? So your ability to hold something and resist movement. So again, think of something like uh, farmer's walks would be a good example for this or something like um, hanging from a chin-up bar for, for time uh, would be an example of this. You know, plate pinches where you're, you're pinching two weight plates together and then having to use your tension between with the pinching to hold the plates together. You know, very challenging 
uh, grip training exercise. So, you know, but this is where a lot of people's thoughts go when they think about grip training. It's like, okay, I need to either close my fingers against resistance or I need to close my fingers and hold them uh, against resistance. And, and again, that makes sense because that is a lot of what we're doing on the bike, right? Like, you know, we're we're closing our fingers around the handlebars and then we're trying to really isometrically hold our fingers closed and apply different types of pressure, you know, while we're doing that, you know, uh, you know, while we're hanging onto the handlebars. And so this is a very important type of, of grip strength to be trained. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that this is not an important uh, thing, you know, but there's, this is, like I said, it's, this is where a lot of people's thoughts go. And, and unfortunately where a lot of their thoughts stop when it comes to grip strength training, specifically for mountain biking. Now you will find some people who will advocate for uh, some sort of wrist training, but it usually revolves around uh, some sort of movement. So you're either doing like wrist curls and wrist extensions uh, where you're actually moving the wrist itself against weight or something like the old stick and and, uh, um, rope, right? Where you've got a a rope in the middle of a stick and you've got a weight on the other end of the rope and you're basically rolling, you know, uh, turning the stick, uh, twisting it in your hands and and, and rolling the rope up that. And so uh, again, both of those can be uh, good exercises, but uh, again, it's not really covering one of the most important factors that we need on our bike, which getting to the wrist is is getting closer, right? And that is actually wrist stability and specifically the, the three-dimensional wrist stability that you need to resist movement in all planes with uh, at, at once, really. Um, and, and so this is what we're, a lot of riders are lacking. So for to use this effectively, to, to train this effectively, you need what I refer to as leverage-based training tools. Now you have two types of, of weight, right? And so you've got compression-based weight where the weight is in close to you and, and you're basically like it's compressing down on you and you're just having to overcome the, the compressive force of the weight and gravity. And then you have loads where the weight is unstable or the weight is out away from you. So you're holding onto a handle, but the weight itself is further out away. And so you're having to really stabilize the, the load as you're moving. And so this is uh, leverage-based training. It, 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 it's more uh, because the weight's out, there's more leverage. And so your ability to stabilize that is the determining factor. So a good way to think about this is like, compression strength is like uh, strength you build in the gym, right? Like gym boy strength. And then leverage-based strength is like farm boy strength. That's the strength that you build working on a farm, right? Because you're always dealing with unstable implements. You know, you're dealing with weights that are are uh, not, you know, or that, that'll be out away from you. Really, your ability to stabilize loads is as important as your ability to move those loads, Whereas in the gym, you know, when you're we're working barbells and dumbbells and stuff like that, which are great training tools, even kettlebells to a large degree, these all fall into compression-based loading. And so you need training tools that specifically train leverage-based loading. And these training tools are things like the uh, steel mace uh, or mace bell, bell as it's also called, um, and also the uh, heavy Indian clubs. And so these tools, what they have in common is that they have a, the load is offset. The, the majority of the load is off at one end of a handle, right? And so a steel mace looks like a sledgehammer, 
right? So you've got a long handle and then the majority of the weight is out at the end of that handle. And if you've ever picked up a sledgehammer, you know they feel ridiculously heavy, right? Like you grab a 10-pound sledgehammer, <clears throat> excuse me, and it, it's, uh, it feels way heavier than a 10-pound dumbbell. And, and the reason for that is because the 10-pound sledgehammer represents a leverage-based load where your ability to stabilize the load, specifically for your wrists to be able to stabilize the load, becomes a, a super important factor and actually the weak link for most people. Whereas a 10-pound dumbbell, there's, there's very little wrist stabilization involved compared to a sledgehammer. And so at this point, it's just your ability to kind of overcome the weight and, and gravity and, and pick it up and move it around which is a much easier uh, task to do. But that's a good example of leverage versus compression-based loading, right? Like a 10-pound sledgehammer versus a 10-pound dumbbell. And the 10-pound sledgehammer feels infinitely heavier, even though they technically weigh the same amount. Why is that? And that that is why, right? The, the different type of, of uh, loading stimulus that it's giving your body is the reason for that. Uh, a heavy Indian club looks like a bowling pin, um, and so, but the, the head of the pin is going to be thinner so that it, it can create a handle. And then the head is going to have the majority of the weight. And so you can have as light as five pounds. Really, you're looking at like 10 to 20 plus pounds. Uh, and again, like this is going to be extremely heavy. A 10 pound Indian club is a, a extremely heavy feeling implement. If you've never worked with a leverage based loading tool or loaded tool before, and so don't, don't think that your ability to handle heavy kettlebells or heavy weights or anything else is somehow going to be indicative of your ability to handle heavy maces and heavy clubs right off the bat. It, it might, right? There's the rare individual where it does. But the vast majority of us, that's not going to be the case. And I know this because I, I have my own experience with this, you know, where I, I uh, made the mistake of thinking that the the kettlebells and the dumbbells and the barbell work and all these things that I was doing was enough for my wrist uh, or you know enough for my grip and also doing some specific grip training here and there but I uh, like I said when I started working with the uh, steel mace first and then also the heavy Indian clubs uh, as well the I, I realized like wow there is an element here of grip strength that I'm I've been totally missing and that is that three dimensional wrist stability. And your ability to stabilize the the wrist in all three dimensions at once. Now kettlebells, I'll, I'll point, I'll, I'll just say real quick, <clears throat> kettlebells are, are again a great training tool, but they do not address this leverage based loading like the like you need, right? I think unfortunately kettlebells get sold a little bit as a leverage based training tool because we're told that the offset load creates more of a stability challenge, and that's true compared to a dumbbell or a machine. But man, when you compare a kettlebell to a mace or an Indian club, you realize that, man, they're not a leverage-based training tool. They're not really challenging my wrist stability in the same way that these tools are. And the reason for that is because the kettlebell is in contact, has two points of contact, right? So that creates stability, like you're holding it in your hand, and then the kettlebell is also resting on your forearm, and that creates a point of stability, Right? If you're doing a bottoms-up kettlebell lift where you're, you're holding the, the kettlebell in a way to, uh, to where the bottom of the kettlebell is facing up towards the ceiling, 
Now that is a different story. Now that is going to be a, a much more of a risk stability challenge, but it's also a big crushing grip challenge, right? So even though it's it's more of a risk stability challenge, it's still not as much. You start to get limited by your ability to crush grip the kettlebell to hold it in that position. So again, these are they're good things to work on, but you're not actually building the wrist stability the way that you would like to in order to optimally uh, you know, build this important factor for for grip strength on the bike. So, um, so again, I just wanted to point that out that kettlebells, while they're a great tool, don't make the mistake that I did and think that kettlebell training is building your grip strength in a in an MTB specific way that means that you don't need to also incorporate these leverage-based training tools into your uh, program. So again, this is a, a this is the the weak link for the vast majority of riders. I mean, their their wrist. Um, a lot of riders have have wrist problems, sore wrists. You know, get numb hands, and a lot of this is directly related to their 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 uh, wrist stability, and they don't have good wrist stability, and so it starts to force their wrist to bend. And they're, uh, um, you know, trying to use the bars to help them create stability as opposed to using their, their structure to create that stability. And so this starts to create um, overuse injuries and wear and tear on that area. I mean, there's an entire uh, grip category. Those winged grips basically exist because most riders' wrist stability is very poor. And so the, the, the winged grips are an attempt to mechanically reinforce the wrists to make up for the lack of authentic stability that most riders have. So you want to, uh, if you're using those wing grips because you feel like you need them, I would encourage you to try some of these leverage-based training tools and and see how they affect your grip strength and see if you're able to wean yourself off of that because those those are like basically wearing a weight belt every time that you squat or deadlift in the gym, right? Like you are not building the functional wrist stability that you need if you're using those weaned grips and uh, you know over relying on them. Again, there there may be a time and a place like if you're in like a a multi day stage race or like some super long marathon race and and fatigue is going to be an issue and these things could help you just kind of overcome some of the issues that happen with this this extreme fatigue. Again, I, I there's I think there's probably a place for almost every training tool out there. Um, if you can get creative enough for thinking about how they might be applied, but for your average rider, you, these things are not necessary. And for most people, they're a crutch. It's actually holding them back from developing, um, the, the type of wrist strength. that's actually going to build like a healthy, resilient, um, robust grip, uh, to help them both on and off the bike. So I'd encourage you to, to, you know, explore, um, you know, building better three-dimensional wrist stability um, and weaning yourself off of those grips. But like I said, they exist because this problem is so rampant in cycling and, and mountain biking, especially because the grip strength demands for our sport are so much higher than the vast majority of other cycling sports. And so, uh, um, so anyway, so when we're talking about how to use these training tools, right? So hopefully I've I've uh, convinced you that this wrist stability thing, this three-dimensional wrist stability thing is an important factor and that the best way to build the, that wrist stability is with these leverage-based training tools like the mace and the heavy Indian club. And so what can we do with these things to help build that? So real quick, I just had actually one more 
uh, kind of thought pop in my mind that I wanted to touch on before I move on to specifically what to do. But another thing that can affect this is your hand position on your handlebars and specifically your handlebar width. And this is another reason that I'm such a big advocate for most people chopping down their handlebars. Their handlebars are way too wide and uh, you end up with a situation to where your hands are in a bad position in relation to your elbows. So basically, your hands should not be outside of your elbows at any point on your uh, range of motion on your bike. As soon as your hands point outside of your elbows, they get your hands get wider than your elbows, then you have created an angle for your wrists that doesn't allow your hands and wrists to line up optimally uh, with your forearms, and this compromises your stability. So you can do these wrist stability things that I'm about to tell you and, and, and get a better, better grip strength and better three-dimensional grip strength and still have trouble applying this to the bike because your handlebars are too wide. And so if you really want to improve your grip strength, in fact, for most people, they'd probably find that, that uh, narrowing their handlebars would actually improve this element because it would help allow them to get their wrists into a better, more efficient, more stable position. And so uh, they wouldn't be as reliant on, um, you know, mechanical means like the wean grips or, or other things to try to keep their, uh, their wrist stable. So anyways, there's a lot of bad things that come about with uh, wide handlebars or, or I say handlebars that are wider than what you need. And so um, I've got a, a post uh, called your handlebars are too wide a case study where I go through a video with my wife uh, when she got a new bike and we had to chop her handlebars down from like I think they came with like 780 millimeter wide bars and we ended up having to chop them down to around like 700 uh, 710 something like that I think it, it, it maybe even a little narrower than that but we did a, a test where we had her do a push-up and then use that as like a starting position to try to you know find how wide we could get while maintaining optimal uh, uh, wrist position and range of motion and and while she's moving through the range of motion uh, optimal position of her shoulders and, and and all that stuff and so and you can see how the wider handlebars really affect her ability to move and maintain strong position and, and good wrist stability and when we narrow them how it immediately starts to clean some of those issues up and so again uh you know the your your even though you know like they say that it's the indian not the arrow right it's the rider not the bike the bike still has an effect on that and if your bike is set up in a in a way that makes it harder for you to move and apply force and and, and all pressure and all of these things that you need to ride your bike um, and, and it's, it's set up in a way that makes it harder for you to do that, then it's just harder for you to do that, which is why would you do that, right? So set your bike up in a way that won't. But anyways, um, so just another thing to keep in mind, whether your handlebar width may be uh, interfering with your, your work towards creating better wrist stability uh, on the bike. So anyway, so what do we do, right? So with um, there, there's a couple of things that you can do, some specific exercises with these tools. So for example, with the steel mace, um, and I'll, I'll, I have videos for this. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna post a video specific to this topic here soon. That's gonna go over these exercises. Um, but the, you know, the the uh, mace uh, 360s, where your the mace is uh, basically spinning around your your body, right? And it's a great shoulder uh, exercise, great for building wrist strength and and upper body endurance. Uh, there's another variation on that, the 10 and two, where you're 
you're you're basically uh, going from side to side instead of all the way around. Um, and again, you can Google these and and you know Mace 360, Mace 10 and 2. Um, there, there's a lot of good videos out there that uh, explain what these what these are and what they look like. Um, there's an exercise called the Barbarian Squat where you're basically holding the mace in front of you and then you bring it up and over your head and then back in front of you and then do a squat. And it's uh, you know another great exercise that that bringing it up and over your head and you end up with the mace uh, pointed to the ground behind you and then having to bring it back over in front of you. Man, that is a, a massive workout for your wrist stability and grip strength uh, that has a direct translation over to the the bike and, and your ability to do this on the bike. So uh, those are two great exercises that I like to do specific with the steel mace for this. Uh, with the Indian clubs, I like to do uh, Indian club swings and then catch them in front of me either with my arms uh, at my side and the elbows bent at 90 degrees so the, the hands are in front of me uh, or with my arms straight out in front of me. Um, but you know the the swing is uh, with the Indian clubs is a great exercise I think actually better than the kettlebell swing. Um, and then when you add in the catches uh, where you're catching the the Indian club with the you know your 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 uh, you know the Indian club is pointed straight up and down. Right, and so you're having to stabilize and catch the the load and and hold it in that position for a second, and then you go into your next swing and you catch it and having to stabilize in that position for a second, and so that's a great way to uh, to to work on your wrist stability specific with these exercises. I mean, you can do different leveraging things. There's there's all sorts of different options that you can do specific with these tools, and then you can also incorporate them into your regular exercises. So for example, you know, doing a shoulder press while holding a heavy Indian club is going to turn that into a completely different exercise than doing it with a kettlebell or a dumbbell. Trying to do a farmer's walk while holding an Indian club or, or a mace uh, horizontal with the ground um, is going to be a, a huge challenge on your wrist stability. Um, so you can do uh, lunges while holding the maces and clubs. You can do uh, rows. You can do, I, I mean, there's, I'm not going to say like every exercise. I'm sure there's some exercises that don't translate over and lend themselves very well, but I would say 80% of the exercises that you can do with a uh, dumbbell or kettlebell, you can also do with a steel mace or Indian club as the load. And just by nature of the, the that being a leverage-based tool, you're going to turn that exercise into more of a, of a wrist stability challenge and also just a kind of a, a stability challenge overall uh, for the body. So that's that's one of the things that I like to do is, is basically use the the 360s and barbarian squats and the swings in my program and then also incorporate the mace as much as I can into my other exercises um, you know where appropriate or you know where the it, it meets my uh, my goals and so uh, but yeah so there's just kind of some some basic uh, things to keep in mind some basic ways that you can incorporate these uh, these training tools into your your uh, your training program. So um, so it's pretty much it as far as the the the, the three dimensional wrist stability goes. Um, like I said, I think that it's because these training tools that I'm talking about are not super common. Um, it, this isn't something that a lot of riders and coaches realize is a missing element, right? Like in, until you pick one of these things up and you start trying to move around with it and do stuff with it. You don't realize like, oh, I'm really struggling with this and I'm struggling with this 
for a very specific reason. And that specific reason is my wrist stability, my ability to stabilize in three dimensions is is not there. And it's one of those things like you don't know that you need to work on something until you realize that you need to work on it. And so if you've never uh, kind of been put in a position that really exposes this outside of being on the bike, and, and again, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go in there. So it can be very confusing as to like, well, why exactly am I struggling? And so a lot of times on the bike, it doesn't feel like that wrist stability is actually the weak link, right? A lot of times it feels like our fingers and our grip is getting tired. And so we start to notice our our uh, ability to grip the handlebars effectively and pull the levers effectively start to, to fade and get harder. And so we we tend to think that, you know, well, it's that that is the weak link. And so that's why a lot of the training that we do revolves around the the fingers closing that crush type grip. And, uh, you know, again, the that's definitely an aspect, but they're struggling as bad as they are and, and, is, and, and sooner than they need to because they're working harder than they need to because your wrist stability is poor. And so if your wrist stability was better, then it would actually make your overall grip strength better and that grip strength endurance better because you're not going to be as, as inefficient, um, you know, with how you're using it uh, because of a lack of, of wrist stability. So, um, like I said, I think that it's just one of those things that as as these tools become more popular, uh, more people are going to kind of wake up to the fact that there is this giant hole in our grip strength training and that by incorporating these these ancient training tools, like that's the thing is like, you know, people think like kettlebells are an old school training tool. Like they've been around for a few hundred years, right? Like maces and, and these heavy Indian clubs um, have been around for thousands of years, like literally like these, these have been used to train uh, soldiers and, and wrestlers and, and, you know, uh, for a, a millennia, right? Like for thousands of years. And I mean, they've got records of these things going back, like literally like 2,500 plus years in some cases. And so the, uh, these training tools have been used for a long time because they are effective. And one of the things they're effective at is building this wrist stability, which, you know, if you're swinging a sword, you know, if you are a combat athlete, you, these, your wrist stability is an extremely, extremely important factor in these things. And so that's why these tools were designed to, to train this, uh, this element of grip strength. And so it's not something that we use a lot in today's world, right? Like swinging a heavy sword around is not a critical life and death skill like it used to be. Um, you know, uh, combat is not something that most of us learn, whether it's grappling or striking or, or you know, these arts, these things where this, this uh, becomes more important. And so because we don't use this stuff a lot, we don't realize that it's a weak link. But like I said, mountain biking is one of these sports that actually requires it. And so us not having tools to help train it, I believe is, is, uh, holding us back in some way. So, uh, so again, you know, if you don't have, I, I would encourage you to go get a, a steel mace, um, start with a 10 pound steel mace. If you can afford to get a 10 and a 15, that's great. Um, uh, but a 10 pound is a great place to start. And same thing with the Indian club. If you're able to get one or two of those, um, you know, a pair of 10s or like a 10 and a 15 would be a great place to start. But uh, again, don't make the mistake I did and think that like, hey, I'm pretty strong. I can just jump up to like a 20 pound mace. Like that was freaking so such an eye opening experience for me when I when I picked that thing up. Um, but uh, but anyway, so and if you can't do that, then you can also, like I said, if you have a, a heavy um, hammer at home, you can you know use this just to 
kind of for some wrist stability purposes. Sledgehammers can work as well. You know, they don't work as well for some of the exercises like the 360s and the 10 and 2s, just the handle and the weighting is a little bit off for it. I mean, you can do it, but it's just not uh, not quite as, e- as smooth and, and easy uh, to pick up. Um, but you know, just make sure you're being safe as well. Whenever you're swinging anything around, uh, much less a sledgehammer or something like that, but even just grabbing one and picking it up and just like holding it in front of you and just stabilizing it there. And then trying to do like a squat or something, right? Like it doesn't have to be super complicated what you're doing. You're just trying to, to create this three-dimensional grip strength demand, and then perhaps create some movement around it, um, as well. So it's, it's not, you know, rocket science. It's just, you know, having the tool to do it. You know, if you have, uh, an adjustable dumbbell, right, where you can load plates on, on one side or the other, you can, uh, just put plates on one side and leave the other side empty and, you know, uh, pick that up, right. That'll create that leverage based tra- uh, training effect as well. So there are some ways to get creative, with this, if you if you uh, aren't able to get the specific training tools for it, but you know you should definitely uh, look at trying to figure out how you can incorporate this uh, into your overall training and specifically your grip training. So, um, so right on. So that's going to do it uh, for this episode. Uh, remember, you can check me out at bikejames.com if you want to support the show. The best thing you can do is give me a, a like and a review on whatever your preferred uh, podcasting platform is. I uh, appreciate the support and, and the feedback with there. Uh, you can also uh, pet, you know check out my programs at bikejames.com. I've got the 40 plus MTB rider training program. It is the only training program specifically designed for the 40 plus rider and utilizes things like isometric training and uh, CO2 tolerance training and you know breath work. So some different elements and things that I've been incorporating into my own training since turning 40 that are going to help me continue to ride strong and you know for a lifetime uh, moving forward. But you can find that program there. And you can also find uh, the Guide to Better Breathing, which is, again, a, a really uh, comprehensive guide to uh, breath work, kind of getting you introduced to what is better breathing, how to assess it, some things that you can do to improve it and just, you know, how you can apply it on the bike. So, uh, you know, really a great way for you to start incorporating breathing and better breathing into your, your riding, your training program there. So you can check that out there as well. And then last plug before I let everybody go is, uh, check out pedalinginnovations.com where you'll find the catalyst pedal. This is the, the flat pedal that I invented and I'm having made to, uh, it, it, the, the thought process behind it was trying to create a, the most natural supportive platform for your foot. And so what it does is it is long enough to stabilize both ends of the arch, which allows you to create two pressure points that uh, are on either end of the platform. This evens the pressure out that's going into the pedal. And it also uh, creates a more stable platform for your foot. So it takes a lot of stress and strain off of the plantar fascia and the Achilles tendon and the ankle. Uh, A lot of people report things like knee pain and back pain and ankle issues and stuff clearing up after switching to this pedal. Uh, But it's also, um, you know, a a great performance pedal as well because it allows you to get more power from your hips because you've got your heels stabilized, uh, you know, the back end of the arch as well. And you're not getting that forward tipping motion that happens when you've got a single pressure point. When you're pushing mainly through the ball of your foot, that's a single pressure point. 
when you're pushing into the pedal, it creates an unstable force, which causes the pedal to start rotating forward, which is why your foot wants to come off the pedal. Um, again, one answer is to try and attach your foot to the pedal, like clipless pedals, or another answer would be to stabilize the forces going into the pedal, which is the answer that the catalyst pedal uh, provides. So you can find out more about that, the science behind it, uh, at pedalinginnovations.com. But again, if you want to uh, support what I'm doing, then check those things out. And if some of them fit your needs, then uh, um, you know, uh, getting those would uh, would really help. Everything that I have out there, including the pedals, has a money back guarantee. So if they don't work for you, I'll even give you your money back. But uh, anyways, all right, so we're going to wrap it up. I uh, hope everybody's enjoyed the show. Make sure you get some leverage-based tra- uh, training tools into your program, working on this three-dimensional grip strength. And I will talk to everybody next time.